Boris Pasternak's novel, Dr. Zhivago, is a gargantuan romantic historical epic that spans the history of Russia from 1905 to 1945, taking in everything from the last years of the Tsar, the period of the Bolshevik Revolution, the bloody civil war, Leninism and the collectivization of farms, Stalinism and the five-year plans, and the near endless purges enacted under both autocrats. If they were to give me two more excavators, I'd be a year ahead of the plan by now. You're an impatient generation. Weren't you? Yes, we were. Very. Oh, don't be too impatient, comrade engineer. We've come very far, very fast. Yes, I know that, comrade general. Yes, but do you know what it cost? There were children in those days who lived off human flesh. Did you know that? However many years the novel covered, it took Pasternak almost as many years to write it. As far back as 1918, he had conjured up some early sketches of characters, but it would not be until 1957 that it was all finally finished. But when he eventually submitted it for publication, he was told in no uncertain terms that it was not only anti-Soviet, but nothing short of counter-revolutionary. When Pasternak heard this, he feared the worst. 20 years earlier, he had been exiled to the Gulag for writing a poem that irritated the authorities. Yet miraculously, Pasternak was not sent to the Gulag, nor was his manuscript destroyed. Instead, he was allowed to keep it in his apartment. There, friends read it, and slowly word of its content began to leak further to small pockets of dissidents, and pretty soon copies were trickling about the city. Only they weren't copies in the modern sense. If typewriters were scarce commodities in the flats of the proletariat, photocopiers did not exist. So instead, people transcribed the novel by hand, all 700 pages of it. The practice, although illegal, was common enough to be given a name, Samizdat. It means the dissident conduct of individually reproducing by hand banned publications and then passing the copy from reader to reader. But don't you see her position? She served her purpose. These men that came with me today as an escort will come for her and the child tomorrow as a firing squad. Now I know exactly what you think of me and why. But if you're not coming with me, she's not coming with me. So are you coming with me? Eventually, if not somewhat inevitably, word spread beyond the Iron Curtain and an Italian publisher, a communist no less, Gian Giacomo Feltrinelli, offered to print it. Within a year, Pasternak's novel had earned him the Nobel Prize for Literature. At least, that's what it earned him in the West. In the Soviet Union, he was not allowed to travel to Stockholm to accept his award and Pasternak was summarily denounced and publicly humiliated threatened with the imprisonment of himself, his family, and above all, his beloved Olga Ivanskaya, the woman who was clearly the model for the novel's troubled heroine, Lara. Lara, I am determined to save you from a dreadful error. There are two kinds of men, and only two, and that young man is one kind. He is high-minded. He is pure. He's the kind of man that the world pretends to look up to and, in fact, despises. The publication caused an immediate sensation, both in the West and in the Soviet Union. And just as quickly, the film rights were sold to an Italian producer, Carlo Ponti. 
To describe Ponty as a prolific producer would be an understatement. Although only 45 when he acquired the rights to Pasternak's book, he had already produced over 60 films, some with such notable directors as Federico Fellini, Roberto Rossellini, and in 1954, an enormous American-Italian co-production, an adaptation of Leonid Tolstoy's War and Peace. Sprawling in the way only a Russian novel can be, Pasternak had modelled his work after Tolstoy's masterpiece. And just as War and Peace had hurled its characters against the vast backdrop of the Napoleonic Wars, so too did Pasternak's saga conflate the 20th century history of Russia down to a few characters. What happens to a girl like that when a man like you has finished with her? Interested? I give it to you, Yuri Andreevich. Wedding present. As soon as he heard the plot to Pasternak's novel, Carlo Ponti knew he had another potential classic on his hands. But Ponti also knew that the story was so sprawling that he would have to make the film an international co-production. And for that, he knew he would have to get a film director whose eye for the epic could match the vast sweep of the Russian landscape. To Ponti's mind, there was only one director who could bring the novel to the screen, and that was David Lean. Early in his career, Lean had directed two superb adaptations of Charles Dickens, Great Expectations and Oliver Twist. And later, he had gone on to win two Academy Awards for Bridge on the River Kwai, and then for what many people consider to be not only his masterpiece, but one of the greatest films ever made, Lawrence of Arabia. With those two stories, Lean showed a flair for the widescreen canvas while also displaying an uncanny ability to convey what was going on inside the heads of his leading characters. So when Lean was offered Pasternak's novel, he called in the one writer he knew who could help him deliver on both counts, Robert Bolt. Bolt had already collaborated with Lean on Lawrence of Arabia, for which he had won an Oscar, and before that, he had won a Tony Award for his masterful play, A Man for All Seasons. Now you give the devil benefit of law. Yes, what would you do? Cut a great road through the law to get after the devil? Yes, I'd cut down every law in England to do that. Oh, and when the last law was down and the devil turned round on you, where would you hide, Roper, the laws all being flat? This country is planted thick with laws from coast to coast, man's laws, not God's. And if you cut them down, and you're just the man to do it, do you really think you could stand upright in the winds that would blow then? Despite the great wealth of material offered up by the novel and everyone's track record, the movie doesn't always hit the mark. The critic, Alexander Walker famously wrote that when a director dies, he becomes a photographer. And certainly, the chief strengths of the film reside in its images. The overriding problem was that Lean wasn't interested in the story's political history. Instead, he decided to concentrate on the love story. Wouldn't it have been lovely if we'd met before? Before we did? Yes. married, had a house and children. We'd had children, Yuri. 
Would you like a boy or a girl? I think we may go mad if we think about all that. I shall always think about it. However, despite Lean's insistence, Robert Bolt still wove in an undercurrent that while not wholly original, was nonetheless satisfying. What Bolt managed to do was conflate the epic scale down to four characters, each one coming to symbolize the different aspects of revolutionary Russia. You have Zhivago himself, poet and doctor who seeks to keep Russia alive. What will you do next year, Zhivago? I thought of doing general practice. Think about doing pure research. It's exciting, important, can be beautiful. General practice. Life. He wants to see life. Well, you'll find that pretty creatures do ugly things to people. You have Komarovsky, the cynical aristocrat who exploits one and all in order to survive the Bolshevik revolutions. You misunderstand. Your political views do not concern me. So far as that goes, I'm probably more in sympathy than you suppose. I have a few contacts of my own which might surprise you. Then you have Pasha, the high-minded intellectual and political firebrand who represents all the ruthless zealotry of the revolution. I am committed to the revolution. Nothing, not even Lara, has more importance for me. And all those men are in love with the same woman. Inspirational, beautiful, resilient, but much mistreated Lara, who, well, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that Lara represents Russia. You know, you often look at me as though you knew me. I have seen you. Four years ago, Christmas Eve. Are you there? No wonder you look at me. Did you know Viktor Komarovsky? Yes, I did. That young man who took you away. My husband. Out of courage. He made the rest of us look very feeble. As a matter of fact, I thought you both did. Good man to shoot at. I'd give anything never to have met him. It's a thing so typical of romantic historical epics. You collapse the ideological arguments down to but a few characters, and then, rather than having them argue politically, you direct their differences into personal spheres. Are you the poet? Yes. I used to admire your poetry. Thank you. I shouldn't admire it now. I should find it absurdly personal. Don't you agree? Feelings, insights, affections, it's suddenly trivial now. You don't agree. You're wrong. The personal life is dead in Russia. History has killed it. Near the end of the film, Zhivago and Lara retreat to the snowy wastes of Varikino. There they find the neglected Dacha, where Zhivago spent happy summers as a child. It was where he started writing poetry. By the time Zhivago and Lara arrive in Verikino, the civil war is a bloody memory and the purges have begun. They enter the small house, now an ice palace, and as they go through the rooms, rooms that have been kept in frozen preserve, Zhivago finally finds the table at which he wrote his poetry. And that little space visualizes the spirit of Russia, frozen, forlorn, but perfectly preserved, if only someone could come along and revive its soul. If you only know Dr. Zhivago from David Lean's movie, you will know little, if anything, of the novel 
and how it depicted the utter disaster that communism wrought. The tyranny, the purges, the famines, the cannibalism, the reprisals and the sanctioned slaughter. And then for those who survived, the silencing of their minds. Instead, Lean decided to give the audience an old-fashioned romance. And yet, for all its faults, oddly, Lean's instinct was on the whole correct. The film was an enormous hit. Inflationally adjusted, it is still one of the 10 biggest grossing films of all time. And I have no doubt that had Lean gone the political route, it would have flopped. Because by taking the romantic route, Lean augmented something else in Pasternak's story. The belief that humanity always trumps politics, that hope survives, and that love amongst the snows is a very warm thing.